if you're one of Alex's friends or family, would you please stand? Amen. So glad to have you here. Amen. Thank you for coming. And we're excited about the decision that Alex has made. And uh, about a month ago, Alex came at the end of one of our services, and he uh, made it clear that he wanted to make a decision for Christ, wanted to begin a relationship with Jesus. And so we've been talking to him about that decision for the last month or so, and he feels good about that, and we feel like he understands. And so he's come today uh, to uh, give that beautiful testimony of believer's baptism. So Alex, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? I have. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, upon that profession of faith, under the authority of Brinesford Baptist Church, and obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You're buried in Christ in baptism. You're raised to walk in the newness of life. Amen. Amen. We're praying for more young people, more middle-aged people, more senior adult people who do not yet have a relationship with Jesus to come to know him and to follow the Lord in the same way as Alex today. And so with that in mind, let's continue in worship together.
assurance. That song reminds us that Jesus is mine. Would you stand with me and sing that? And I hope that's your testimony. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a Again, we want to welcome you this morning to our services here at Brownsford Baptist Church. And for those of you watching on television or on Facebook Live this morning, we want to welcome you. And for those on Facebook Live, if you will, uh, there in the comment section, please place your name and any prayer requests that you might have. And uh, we'd love to be able to connect with you and love to know when uh, we have a new family with us. And so glad to have you today. And for those of you, this may be your first opportunity to be with us here at Brownsburg. We want to welcome you today. And uh, you'll notice there in the pew in front of you, uh, there is a card. And if you'll fill that out, there is an uh, offering plate on the big middle table, round table in the foyer. Place that in there as you're leaving today. And uh, we appreciate that. Helps us to know of your attendance. But more important to us, helps us to know how we can minister to you and your family. And we are very glad to have you this morning. Uh, again, we do have a lot going on. I hope that you've read your bulletin. 
and you've seen all those things which pertain to you and to your family. I do want to remind all of those who have children who will be graduating from second grade and who have second graders then uh, through fifth graders that they are eligible if they are a part of our Sunday school program, our Wednesday night team kid, or our Sunday night uh, center shot and children in action programs. If they're involved in any of those and they're eligible to be able to go to kids camp this summer. And uh, we'll be having a meeting right after the service next Sunday morning. And uh, that will require a $75 deposit for us to get their name locked in uh, there at Crossings. We go down to uh, Jonathan Creek. That's where we go. So they're not a long way away. They're still in the county, actually. Uh, but it's always a great week, and we look forward to that uh, coming up on July the, the 19th through the 22nd. And so if your child, your grandchild is involved and they're interested, please do come to that meeting. We'll have a lot of information, but we do need to get that deposit from you as those are due at camp here in the next couple of weeks. I uh, also want to remind you, as we're here a couple weeks into January, if you haven't yet grabbed your church calendar for 2023 or your new offering envelopes, those are still out in the foyer on the table. Uh, if you can grab those, that's very important, especially on the offering envelopes. Uh, we need to use this year's offering envelopes so we don't have any confusion, and so we appreciate you helping us with that. Also tonight, uh, after our uh, State of the Church address tonight, we're going to be having our regular monthly business meeting for January, and then we will have our incorporation meeting uh, right after that. And of course, this is the time of the year that we uh, elect our directors, and so uh, you'll need to uh, kind of think about that as you come in tonight of who you would like to ask to be a part of that uh, this year. And so uh, with that in mind, we still have many on our prayer list, certainly have uh, many who have great needs this week. Uh, it's been a difficult week in the life of our community. We've had folks who've lost their homes due to fire. We've had some folks with some very serious health issues that have arisen. And we certainly want to remember all of those today. But most importantly, we want to pray for the lost. I praise the Lord that just here two weeks in, into the year, we've already uh, have one lot lit uh, on our sign for life. Those lots represent a life that has been eternally changed. And we're thankful that that first lot represents Alex. And uh, we're praying for more lives to be changed and for them to move from spiritual darkness to spiritual light. And so we're uh, praying for that as we continue on. And maybe your one has, has been asking questions. Maybe your one has, has been willing to have conversations with you. Uh, pray the Lord will continue to soften their hearts and that we might see a great harvest here in 2023. And so with that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for a Sunday that we can celebrate together, baptism. Lord, that beautiful picture of what you did about a month ago when you saved Alex. And Lord, we're so thankful for the work that you're doing in his young life. And Lord, we recognize that we still have many. Some of them are young. Some of them are middle-aged. Some of them are older. And they still do not have a relationship with you. They still do not personally know you. They have head knowledge. They know facts and they know stories. But Lord, they don't know you, not personally. And so Lord, I pray that they would stop just playing games. Stop thinking that attendance is enough. Stop thinking that mom and dad being saved is enough. And Lord, that we would see individuals come to you for salvation. Lord, I, I pray today for those that have had difficult weeks, Lord, difficult diagnosis from the doctor, Lord, that has really changed everything. Lord, those who have lost their homes due to fires, Lord, in our own community and in other communities that we've heard about this week, and we pray for them. Lord, we pray for those that have been affected all around us from the storms this week. Lord, we pray for the, the recovery and the aftermath of that, and we know what that's like as a community. And Lord, today, 
I pray that you would just continue to move and work. Lord, all of us are here with something on our heart, some issue that we're dealing with. And Lord, you know what it is. And so, Lord, we give this time over to you, to your honor and glory, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This worship course is just that chance for you just to tell the Lord how much you love him. Just a worship moment between you and him. Private moments. Call it moments like these. Let's worship him. In moments like these, I sing out a song. I sing out a love song to Jesus. In moments like these, I lift up my hands. I As we come to our time of prayer here at the altar this morning, I know many of us have many different needs on our hearts today, and for many of us it may be that we're praying for a lost loved one, somebody that's a close friend, and we, we want to see them come to know Christ, but we recognize that uh, we can't save anyone on our own. It takes the Holy Spirit moving on their heart and preparing them and causing them to come to know Jesus, and so uh, prayer is the most important thing that we can do when it comes to reaching them. Maybe there's another issue on your heart, and you just need to bring it to the Lord today. We want you to know this altar is going to be open, and we want to invite you to come and to spend some time in prayer. If you want to bring a family member or a friend, or if you just want to come, you and Jesus, that's fine as well. Uh, they're at home. Uh, maybe you just want to bow in front of that chair or that couch, wherever you're at, and make that an altar. But let's uh, spend some time with our Lord in prayer today. With every head bowed and with all eyes closed, the altar is open. Let's come. Let's pray together.
Lord, we are so thankful that we have a Lord and a Savior who knows our hurts, who knows our pains, who, who knows our every weakness, and yet you love us anyway. Lord, you love us so much that you went to the cross of Calvary and you died in our place. Lord, you paid our sin debt while we were yet still your enemy. And so, Lord, we recognize that now as your children, Lord, you love us. And, Lord, that you will meet our every need. Lord, we recognize that there's nothing that takes you by surprise, no matter how much it's taken us by surprise. And so, Lord, we can trust you. We can trust you with the health issue. We can trust you with the relational issues. We can trust you with the financial issues. And, Lord, yes, we can trust you with the lives and the spiritual conditions of our loved ones. And so, Lord, this morning we give every concern over to you, trusting you with it, leaving it at the foot of the cross, recognizing that you are the answer. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you all stand with me as we sing this great song of peace and cover? It is well with my soul.
Good morning. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna mix it up a little bit this morning and do a new song. I think that uh, so the students should know it um, from camp and from from Winter Extreme, and uh, but we're gonna have a little twist to it, and so we're gonna do an old hymn mixed in with it. So uh, feel free to worship with us. This is very much a worship song. <laughs> search the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures of fate are never enough. Then you came along and you put me back together. the God of the mountain is still the God of the valley there's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me You give beauty 
Thank you, Nadia. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Ricky on strings. What a wonderful day. What a wonderful way to begin a service uh, through Believer's Baptism. And then our worship through song has been so beautiful. Uh, I hope the Lord has uh, prepared your heart for what uh, he wants to speak to you about today. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles as we continue this series, this series in Genesis to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. And certainly uh, we recognize that storms have been in uh, the news this past week. Uh, storms of many kinds, uh, and even in our community. Not necessarily um, weather storms, but just storms of life have hit a lot of families this week. It's been a difficult week. Um, but also then literal storms. Um, we, of course, think about the storms to... Our south and to our east and the tornadoes that hit and as a community uh, we know the pain that that brings um, when you lose your home uh, whether it be for fire or through tornadoes or whatever it may be um, but that's that's devastating it's devastating to individuals it's devastating to communities and so we know uh, what that's like and uh, e even just the the hail that we got the other night uh, you know you're just reminded of the power uh, of storms I don't know about you, but that, that woke me up. When you've got golf balls hitting the side of your house and, the, and your roof, that kind of wakes you up in the middle of the night. That gets your attention. Um, but as I've been studying this week, as I've been focused here on uh, Genesis chapter 9, it, it's caused me to, I guess, be a little more focused on this idea of storms and, and the idea of looking at, at the clouds and, and what, what that means and uh, the colors of, of, of the rainbow and, and I guess that it's just really touched my heart to think about the fact that God has given us a great promise through those colors. And when we look in the clouds and, and we see that multitude of colors, that, that God is making us a promise. And we as a culture cannot change the meaning of those colors at a whim. We can't just say, well, now it doesn't mean that anymore. Now it means this. As much as society might try to yell and scream and holler and try to convince us, that those colors do not represent God's covenant, but that they represent sin and rebellion. It doesn't. Those colors are defined by God, and they're defined by his word very clearly. And they're defined here in Genesis chapter 9, verse 16. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. Those colors represent a covenant. It's an everlasting covenant between God and his creation, between God and man. And it's not based upon man's character, praise the Lord, because we'd be in trouble if it was based upon us keeping our side, right? But it's based upon our Lord's character, which is never changing. And I'm so thankful for that. And so I believe the Lord has a word for us here in Genesis 
chapter 9 this, this morning. And so as you've turned there, let's go to the Lord and pray together. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you. Just thank you for the way that you have met with us today in such a special way. Lord, the Spirit has been so sweet as, as we have lifted up our hearts and as we've lifted up our voices to you in praise, as we've spent time in, in prayer and, and handed over our needs to you, handed over our praise and our thanks to you. And Lord, now as we enter into your word, Lord, I pray that you would speak in a very special way to our hearts about what it means that you've reestablished a covenant and it's based upon who you are, it's based upon your character, it's based upon your righteousness. And Lord, it's a promise from a God who keeps his promises. And so, Lord, it can be trusted. Lord, I know I've got some friends again this morning who don't yet know you as Savior and Lord. And I'm thankful they're here. I'm thankful they're here to hear your word. And Lord, I know you're going to speak to them. And Lord, I just pray that they would be serious today. Lord, they would listen to your word. Lord, they would hear it clearly and recognize that you're speaking to them. You desire a relationship with them today. Lord, I'm a very weak vessel. Lord, hide me behind the cross that only you'd be seen and only you'd be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Storms um, are a part of life. And it's what we see here in um, Genesis chapter 9 is the aftermath of the storm. And we're reminded that God is holy, but in and of ourselves, we are not. And in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, he says, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And then very clearly we know uh, Romans three twenty three, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God makes it very clear that we are a sinful people. Um, that, that we are rebellious people. And so if we are going to experience grace, if we are going to experience what it is to be in a right relationship with God, it's going to have to be God's initiative, not man's. Because in and of ourselves, we will never take the initiative to come to God. And God knew that. And so we see the pattern from the very beginning of God coming to us. We see this pattern of God humbling himself in chapter 3, after the fall of man, he presents himself in front of sinful man. He comes to us. He comes seeking after us. There was no other way. You see, because Adam could not have received grace on his own. Because he wasn't good enough. Because at this point, sin had taken away Adam's privilege to come before God on his own initiative. This is the first example of what God continues to do today. He continues to seek after sinners. That's the good news today. If you're, if you're still lost, God's still seeking after you. God goes after sinners with the specific purpose of bringing them to repentance and pointing them to, to the deliverer who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so once again, we find God reaching out to man to deliver him. And we see the example in, in Noah's life of God coming after Noah. God was looking for someone that he might show mercy to, and, and he found Noah to be receptive. And so now here in chapter 9, verses 1 through 17, God is going to make a covenant with man. And again, it's going to be a covenant that's based solely on his character, on God's character, not on man's. And so I want you to listen very closely as we read this passage of Scripture. Please turn with me to Genesis chapter 9, 
And let's begin in verse 1. Please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air and upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. And your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given unto you, have given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, with is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require, at the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And you be ye fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. And God spake unto Noah and said to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth, and I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bowl in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass that when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. You may be seated. So here in chapter 9, we're going to see several wreaths uh, as God begins to anew uh, reestablish some things with, with man. And he reestablishes beginning with Noah and his family. And so this new covenant could never have been based upon man's initiative because man's every instinct is towards evil. And, and we see that around about us. God had to remake creation always with the understanding that the rescue plan would be all about his holiness and his righteousness, and his mercy, and not man's goodness or work, because there is nothing good within us uh, in and of ourselves. There is nothing that we could do works-wise that would earn us right relationship with God. So we begin to see God working on man's behalf here in chapter 9 to make survival in this post-flood world even possible. And so it begins with verses 1 and 7 with replenishment. We see that the first part is, is replenishment. And again, this is a flashback uh, to chapters 1 and 2 where God had commanded that living things multiply. 
and that they might replenish the earth. In both instances, God was the original creator. God made everything. That's where it all came from, God. He is the creator. God simply says, take that which I have given you, take that which I have gifted to you, and now I desire that you multiply it to my glory. And so he says, go forth and replenish the earth once again. And it's what is commanded here in in chapter 9 as it was commanded beforehand in chapters 1 and 2. And so we see the word blessed, and, and we're reminded that God is going to do the multiplying. God is the one who's going to do the blessing. And so we, if we will simply obey his command, we will see multiplication take place. When we obediently follow what God has called us to do, we won't see addition. We will see multiplication. God had rescued Noah and his family as well as the animals that they might replenish the earth after this judgment a flood. And we have the responsibility now of taking what God has given us and multiplying it to his honor and to his glory. And again, we, all we have to do is simply obey. Obey and use the talents. Obey and use the gifts that have been given to us by the Lord. And maybe you think, well, I don't, I don't have any talents. And I don't have any gifts. Well, are you saved? Do you have a personal love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if you do, then you have talents and you have gifts. And you, you ask, well, how can I know what those are? Come to me. We'll, we'll figure out what your talents and gifts are. We can do that. And you need to know what they are so that you can use them. But take that which is a talent and gift and use it to his honor and glory. And so we invite and, and we serve and we teach and we preach and we sing and we build and we visit and we plan that God might replenish through multiplication. That it's not up to us as, as men and women to have the full responsibility. It's just simply obedience and then watching God do what only he can do. The problem is, is too often we're not obedient. We don't desire to use any of those things that God has given to us in any shape, form, or fashion. Sitting in a pew is not a spiritual gift. Did you know that? Nowhere does Paul say, and some were given to be attenders. No, that's not a spiritual gift. But you have one. Did you know that? You have one. And some of you say, well, I'm not a member of the church yet. Well, that's something you can fix, okay? You can become a part of what God's doing. If not here, then, then find a church family and get plugged in. To his honor and glory, use your spiritual gifts. Use the talents that God has given to you. And use them that he might multiply them. You may not think that you've been blessed with great talents or gifts. However, God commands, take what you have been given. And allow him to multiply it greatly to his glory. Secondly, we see requirement here in verses 2 through 6. In chapter 1, God gave Adam every plant of the earth to enjoy and to eat of freely. With the one exception, and I know my teenagers know this because they shouted it out at me on Wednesday night. The one exception being the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They weren't to eat of the fruit of that tree. And so we know that Adam took that very simple command, and he did immediately what we all do. He broke it. The most simple rule possible. There's one thing. Stay away from it because it'll hurt you. It'll kill you. Please don't eat the fruit of that tree. Okay, let's go over and eat that fruit. He immediately rebels. He immediately turns his back on relationship with God. And so as, as, as human beings, it seems that we always have that tendency to break God's laws, no matter how simple they may be, we go and we break them. 
But now God makes the rules even simpler. Okay, you can't get that. Let's make it a little simpler. Every moving thing is going to mean meat for you now, okay? And so some of us here in the South, we say, amen. If we can shoot it, we can eat it, okay? And so that's, you know, basically he's saying, okay, you want more? I'll give you more. Now you can have the meat that comes from these animals. So God has given every plant, now he includes the living creatures, and it dramatically here changes man's relationship to the animals. Because up until this point, man had only used animals to help to cultivate the soil, the land, to, to, to be able to, to grow crops. But now it's different. Now, now we see that the flesh of animals can be eaten freely for substance, for survival. One simple rule, okay? All right? One simple rule. Do not eat the blood of the animals. So I guess that means we're not supposed to eat our steaks rare. Um, you people don't laugh at anything I ever say. It really hurts my feelings. But you laugh when I say that, so that works. So do not eat the blood of the animals. He says, because it represents, it represents the life that is within the animal. He said, and that's sacred. That, 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 that shed blood was the symbol. It was symbolic of death, and it reminded the people of, of the price of sin. That sin had a penalty, and the penalty was death. And so that blood was a symbol. And so the blood would be required as a covering for sins of the people. And we know that as the sacrificial system comes through, through the law of Moses, that that will be that picture. And he wanted them to understand that. He said, so you can eat these, the flesh of these animals, but, but not to drink the blood, not to be like the pagans. And so man may kill animals. But notice here he says, neither animal nor man can kill man. So why allow man to kill animals and yet not allow animals to kill man? And he gives us the answer to that. Because man is set apart in a very important way. There's a fact about man that makes him different than the animals. Man, again is reiterated here, was created in the image and in the likeness of who? Of God. We were created in the image and in the likeness of God. The animals were not. If you were in Sunday school, adult Sunday school this morning, we talked about the fact that we are a made people, purposefully made by God. We were knit together by God himself in our mother's womb. We're special because we're made by God in his image and in his likeness. And so because of that, we're not like every other thing. This, this once again, is a blow to the theory of man simply evolving like any other animal. That's just not truth. It's just not. We're completely different. There's a sanctity in human life. And so no man or animal has the right to end a man's life. So from conception to natural death, man's life is the sole possession of God. And so man does not have the right to take a life simply because that life was unplanned or because that life seems to be imperfect in his estimation. That's not that's not our right. We don't have the right to take any human life. Man does not have the right to take life because he disagrees with the lifestyle choices or the other man or the beliefs that he believes are disagreeable of another man. We do not have that right. God has not given any man that right. That right and that right belongs to God and God alone. 
Life and death are in the hands of God. Man may carry out judgment, though, for taking life. And so this is the only exception that's given by God for man taking another man's life, and it is capital punishment. Verses 5 and 6 make it clear that any man who kills another man will have his life as payment. It will be required of him because life is sacred. It's sanctified. And so therefore, there is an ultimate penalty for taking life. God demands the life of any man who would try to take his place, put himself in the place of God, determining life and death. But then lastly, we see in verses 9 through 17, re-establishment. Re-establishment. This noetic covenant is the first of five covenants that we will see that God makes with man. There's a noetic There's an Abrahamic, there's a priestly, there's a Davidic, and there's a new covenant. And so this first covenant, this Novitic covenant, was unconditional. It was an unconditional covenant, and it was established based on God's own initiative. This means that it's based on God's nature, not on man's nature. Man's actions in the future, then, would not change the promises that are made in this covenant Because it's not based upon man keeping the promise. It's based upon a promise keeping God keeping the promise. And so when you ask the question, why does God not judge us today like he did in Noah's generation, considering we are worse? When you think about the sins in our own nation, the corruption that we see and the greed and the drug abuse and and adultery and child abuse and murder and deceit, all that is going on around us that is sinful Be reminded that God always keeps his promises. And he gave us a covenant. And there's a promise in that covenant. God promises to never again destroy the entire earth with a flood of water. Now, this means that a flood on the entirety of the earth. Okay, because we've seen localized flooding, right? We've seen devastation that's come with localized flooding in eastern Kentucky. We've seen the flooding that's happening in California. So he's not saying that there will never be another localized flood, but there will never be another global flood to destroy all of mankind. This means that no matter what climate change proponents say, the earth is not going to be completely covered by water. What this does not mean is that the earth will exist forever because it will not. A day of judgment is coming, but that day will not be a global flood. That day will be fire. And so very clearly there will be an extreme global warming because everything's going to be destroyed. Judgment is real, and it is promised, and God's a promise-keeping God. But also we see it's a perpetual covenant. It means the covenant that God made with Noah is just as true for me and for you today as it was when he gave it to Noah and his wife and his sons and his sons' wives. It's just as true today for us as it was then. This covenant will last longer than the earth itself. And so a promise is also given here. This is good news. Listen to me. There's a promise here for cloudy days. How many of you like cloudy days? Some of us do. Nobody here, though. Okay. Thought somebody was going to raise their hand, but I think they were just scratching their nose. Um, But most of us like sunny days, don't we? We like bright, sunshiny days. We don't like there to be clouds in the sky. In fact, we say, man, this weather's getting me 
down when it's cloudy. Well, there's a promise here for cloudy days. The promise of the rainbow is what so many people focus on when they think of the Noahic covenant. The Noahic covenant, they think about the rainbow, and that's about all they think about. But really, it's a promise about the clouds. Look at verse 14. Listen to the promise. And it shall come to pass that when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. When I bring a cloud over the earth. Again, I guess because I've been studying that that passage all week long. I saw so many clouds with rainbows inside of them. Have you noticed that this week? I mean, maybe it's just a part of a cloud, and you know, it's not a big, huge arching rainbow, but you'd see those, those colors in the clouds. Not, not necessarily the whole rainbow, but you would see those colors. And it was just that, thank you, Lord. Thank you for that promise. When I bring a, a cloud over the earth, how many, how many moments in any given day is there not a cloud over some part of the earth? It's an easy statistic because it's zero. Our weather, climate, necessitates there being clouds somewhere. Now, just because you don't have a cloud over you here in western Kentucky doesn't mean that there's not a cloud over, uh, you know, Montana or Florida or, you know, London. There's clouds somewhere upon the earth. There's never a time of day when there are not clouds over the earth that God can see. And thus, there is never a time of day that God does not remember this promise, this covenant promise that he made to all of creation God's grace and mercy are freely available to all people, and yet sinners continually reject his grace. And some of you do that week after week after week here at Brownsburg. The Lord offers you salvation, and you reject it week after week. Those who die without repenting from their sin and turning to God shall find that they have no further hope of grace or salvation because God has given us everything necessary to be saved. He's given us his son's death upon the cross of Calvary. His his physical burial in a tomb for three days. And his physical resurrection on the third day. He's given us everything that is needed. And so those who die without repenting of their sins, there is no further grace. And for that reason, Paul warns in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. For he saith, I have heard thee in time, in a time accepted. And the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There's good news and there's bad news this morning if you're lost. Let's start with the bad news. The bad news is really bad. And here's the bad news. You are a sinner. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're an unforgiven sinner. And the penalty for your sin is death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. You're not good enough to deserve salvation. You're not. You're not religious enough to qualify for salvation. You can't work enough to earn salvation. And as a lost sinner, you are presently under the wrath of God. Not in some time in the distant future, but right now. You are the enemy of God. Right now. Bad news is really bad. But there's really, really good news. 
There's really good news this morning. Salvation is based on our Lord's finished work at the cross of Calvary. It's not based on our work. You don't have to be good enough to be saved because none of us are good. And, and, and you don't have to be religious enough to be saved because religion always leads to death. And guess what? You don't have to work for salvation because the price has already been paid in full. You simply need to repent of your sin and place your faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. It's already been done for you. You just have to accept. God has established a covenant and is based upon his work, not our work. Because our work cannot save. And so if you'll come to him this morning, you shall be saved. If you repent of sin and turn to Christ, you shall be saved. However, if you turn away from him, there is no other way to be saved. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man, no woman, no boy, no girl, no one. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus makes it very clear that he is the only way. He is the only door. There is no other way. And so this morning, come to Jesus. Come to him today. For today is the day of salvation. Lord, Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, I'm so thankful. I am so thankful, Lord, that our salvation is not based upon our goodness. It's not based upon our religious works. It's not based upon how good we can be. Lord, it's based upon you and your great love for us and what you did at the cross of Calvary in, in giving your life and shedding your blood. Lord, the fact that you went to the cross and died in our place, that you were buried in a tomb for three days, and then you defeated even death itself by doing what only you as God himself can do, rising again of your, no, of your own initiative, Lord. You did what no one else could do. You saved us. If we will just repent of sin and come to you. Lord, I've got some friends and they keep on putting off salvation. And I don't know why. And it breaks my heart. And I know it breaks the heart of, of maybe a spouse who's praying for them or a parent who's praying for them or a sibling who's praying for them or a friend who's praying for them. But as much as it breaks our heart, I know it breaks your heart all the more. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would save. Lord, that you would do the work that we can't do to your honor and glory. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we stand and as we sing, would you come?